Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Fifty one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One, fly ball, deep left center. Chris, on the run. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm now get ready this is the platinum sombrero podcast with your hosts dylan short and adam doc herbert Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by our friends at Armchair Media and our good friends at LinkedIn. The perfect hire can have an impact on your business for years to come. So when you need to find the next person to help grow your business, your brand, or whatever the case may be, LinkedIn Jobs will match the right talent with your open role fast. They've got over 675 million members worldwide. Wouldn't Why wouldn't you be one? LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of only the most qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by people you want to hire. People with the skills, qualifications, and other interests that not only will help your business thrive, but help your business grow. And why companies... It's the reason why companies rated LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. 675 million is a lot of people. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want. You get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash braves. Again, that's linkedin.com slash braves, B-R-A-V-E-S, to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply. All right, Doc, we are at what I will colloquial, colloquially say is the tipping point. I'm not sure how many of you people had to read that horrible book in AP history, uh, but that, that's about where we're at right now. Everything seems to be going totally insane. Uh, I thought we were getting baseball back, which we're going to talk about here in a second, but turns out some uh, the owners might have had some different ideas, which we'll also get to in a second. But before we get into anything super deep on that, the proposal that everybody has seen by now, uh, everybody got to watch all of the baseball media trying to dunk on Trevor Plouffe for reportedly uh, leaking the terms or, or the main points of the proposed deal, which was 
Base, uh, spring training start, starting back up in June. Baseball starting back at the first week of July. And everybody from Keith Law to Ken Rosenthal to Bob Nightingale to John Hammond, obviously, uh, and even to some people we've had on the show before, ended up trying to, quote-unquote, dunk on Trevor Plouffe, saying, well, I didn't hear that. That's not true, without realizing a couple things. And this is why, in the baseball media, why you shouldn't ever rush to jump on a dunk train. Because if it turns out you are wrong, and this guy just did have better sources than you, now you look like an idiot. Because, if anything, what happened with Trevor Plouffe was, here's what I will guarantee you happened, Doc. He was talking to some other players, and they mentioned, hey man, the owners, or the coach told me to start getting ready to be ready to go by June. Which, Doc, how long have they been trying to get baseball back now? How many months are we now? It uh, went away just a hair over two months ago, so ever since then. Okay, so how many, how many different proposals did we hear about in a one-week stretch of time? Or, or planned proposals or general outlines of proposals? I lost count after we got to 15. Right? So would it not make sense that if you are the GM and the coach of a baseball team, anytime you see that one of these plans or, or whatever you want to call them, these ideas are starting to bear out a little bit and get fleshed out, you would immediately tell your players, hey guys, start getting ramped up in case this one goes through. Doesn't that make sense? Instead of just cold calling everybody, like the day that the plan goes to, to the proposal, say, oh, hey, yeah, by the way, guys, we're voting on this tomorrow. Well, and I wasn't sure why there was such a such an outcry about this whole thing, because I seem to remember, even before the Ploof thing, seeing that the Indians were telling their players, like, hey, get ready. You know, there, there could be some movement here really soon. So when the details leaked, especially when it was from a player, it's not like I found out something and leaked it to the national media. I mean, this is somebody who's still familiar with people in baseball circles. So I don't know why it became such a such a big thing. You know, and whether it's Keith Law or Ken Rosenthal or any of these guys, I mean, they they didn't get the scoop, and that and that's you know that's kind of the thing. Like that's that's Rosenthal's thing or Jeff Passan's thing is is being the first to something, and they're usually really really accurate with what they do. And somebody beat them to it. So I I just didn't see why it, why it became such a big deal. Like it doesn't matter who got to the news first. I mean, this is like a glimmer of hope. This is what we've been waiting for. This is an actual proposal. The players were were mad last week. Like they they were hearing things through the media. It was, it was like that was the negotiation tactic. And then now something formal is on the table. It doesn't matter who it came from, you know. Well, I'll tell you why they got mad. It's not that hard to figure out. It's because they didn't feel Trevor Plouffe should have reported it because Trevor Plouffe is a new member of the media. As he's with John Boy Media, actually. Uh, shout out to your friend of the show, John Boy. But Trevor Plouffe was talking about things he was talking about with players and basically made the mistake of it, of not explicitly saying nothing is finalized. This is just what I'm hearing. And basically baseball media has tried to torch him for saying that he was promoting, uh, that he was saying that he got a scoop when he's just taking off of rumors and <laughs> wanting to dunk on basically because their contacts in the front office didn't tell them anything about it, which it's hilarious to me that people in media who have not been players think that they have more contacts than somebody who was literally a player. Like, you might have a ton of contacts across a bunch of different teams. You don't have as many contacts as somebody who was an active player, you dope. Which is why it took Phil Hughes all of, like, 
three hours to confirm what, what Trevor Plouffe was saying. Like, even if it wasn't going to be a formal proposal, it would not make sense for ownership and coaches to wait until the day of a finalized proposal. Like, all right, guys, now start getting ready. Like, that's just people not having enough to do and lashing out because they're pissed off that somebody else got the, the one story in this time that could actually do business for you. That's so they start trying to say, it's a rumor posted up by John Boy. Well, turns out it was correct. So I'm still waiting for the baseball media to apologize to Ploof. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm fond of a lot of baseball media, but at this point in time, just about everybody owes him an apology. And you, you do bring up a really good point about the timing. Like, the, there aren't a lot of stories going on right now. Like, the front offices can't even do anything. They can't do trade negotiations or anything. Like, there's a full-on lockdown right now. So, you think back to Rosenthal breaking the news a couple minutes after the trade deadline that the Astros got Zach Grinky or whatever. Like, that's a huge deal. And there were going to be just hundreds or thousands even of, of baseball writers and journalists that are trying to land that story. And he gets it. And Passan gets something over here. And then... John Heyman gets this some scoop from Scott Boris that he reports over here, but there aren't a lot of things going on. So it's like, you know, Robert Murray, he, uh, he wrote for the Brewers for a while. He wrote for the athletic for a little bit. I mean, he was like a child basically. And he wound up getting some sources and bringing some news a couple years ago. You saw a similar thing where it's like, who's this pimply faced kid who doesn't even have his driver's license. That's beating me to scoops. So, and now it, it is kind of funny to me that, that Trevor Plouffe and you know, he didn't, didn't join the athletic, didn't join ESPN. He got on with John Boy, who is like all the. It's just a thing now. John Boy Media is like this massive thing now, and it's it's its own. Uh, you know, it's starting to get scoops. So God only knows where this is going to go from here. But yeah, I think that the fact that there was not like some makeup story or some other trade or some contract extension that was going to break that these guys got to. Yeah, I think it hit them in a very uncomfortable spot. The best part of all of it, too, was when people were, you know, congratulating Ploof and trying to get him to take the low road and bash some of the guys. He made it a point to post that, you know, that I've got, I've got no problems with Ken Rosenthal. I've got no problems with Jeff Passan. They're both really good dudes. I've talked to them a lot. The one person he did not mention is also the worst person in baseball media, and that's Keith Law, which is just hilarious because anytime anybody can dunk on Keith Law, it's a good day. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't even matter if Keith Law is right or wrong. It's just about that man is the most self-righteous prick I have ever had the misfortune of reading in my entire life. You see, I'm unqualified to weigh in on that because I love Keith Law. No, you're Law. not. I love Keith Law. You are Law. not unqualified at all. Really, would you, have, would you have put Daniel Lynch number 13 on your top 100 for the sole reason to be contrarian? No, and that, that's the thing. I, I don't think that Keith is going out of his way to be contrarian. I just think that he sees things in a very different way. Would I have Daniel Lynch 13? No, of course not, especially when you left off Drew Waters, Nico Horner, and there was one more that you told me that he left off. It doesn't. Nick Madrigal. Yeah, okay, that's, that's preposterous. But... Well, you know why? I know why. I've talked to enough people around the scouting community. I know why Keith Law does it the way he does it. Why is that? Are you interested, are you interested in hearing why? Sure. Because... If the players that he goes to scout don't perform well at the games he goes to see them, then he doesn't rank them. So, like, he may only see a guy. He might have seen Daniel Lynch twice. How many times was he going out to look at the Royals minor league players? He might have seen Daniel Lynch twice, and Daniel had two good games, and he put him at 13th. Like, he might have gone and seen Drew Waters two or three times. He might have seen Drew Waters at Gwinnett and seen him struggle in Gwinnett at 20 years old and be like, yeah, this guy sucks. So... <laughs> 
That's why I can't respect anything that Keith Law does, man. Well, let, like, let me let me put it this dude. way. Let me let me put it this way. Part of the reason why I respect him is because it takes balls to have Lynch at thirteen, not have Madrigal, Horner, or Waters, and knowing, staring it down the face, and be like, "I'm going to get crucified for this, but I don't care," and just sticking with your guns. You with the with the Tell Marte versus Ozzy Albies thing. You knew. You knew you were going to take some shit for that, and you did it anyway. And I commend that. Because you stuck to your guns. Yeah, and I would never in my wildest dreams try to say Daniel Lynch was a better prospect than Drew Waters and a better prospect than all but 12 other prospects. <laughs> like, No doubt. There's, there's no basis in fact in that. That's just Keith Law doing that because he knows he's going to generate clicks. I don't respect that at all. That, that, like, Keith Law is a very smart person. Let me say that's part of the reason why I can't stand him as much. Because he's very smart and he knows dang good and well that just because Daniel Lynch dominated some guys at high A doesn't mean he's the 13th best prospect in all of baseball. Think about the pitching prospects that that meant that he put him ahead of. All shapes and sizes, man. You and I could go to a baseball game and sit next to each other and and try and scout every player on the field, and we would both come away with completely different scouting reports. Your yours would probably be more accurate because you were better at baseball, but I can I can pick up some stuff. You know what I mean? So it's everybody sees it in different ways. But all I'm saying is, if you've got a player ranked in the top fifteen that nobody else has in the top fifty, you're wrong. And I mean nobody else. That's like a big no reach. Other, no other respected publication. Not Baseball America, not MLB Pipeline, not Fangraphs, nothing. Nobody but Keith Law. It's why I don't like that, though. It's because I don't like the fact that he's so arrogant that basically he looks at it as, well, if he didn't do good in the two games I saw him, then he's obviously not good. Like, I'm not going to trust anybody else's eyes. I'm only going to trust what I see from him, so... I don't know. It's a long tangent to get down on Keith Law. I don't want to because there's a. I could go on about why I do not respect that man for a long time, but we're gonna we're gonna skip past that and get back to the main point of this, which is that we thought we were gonna get baseball in a couple months, and then lo and behold, the owners pull a switcheroo real quick, and now we're in danger of not getting baseball again. Yeah, the. Uh we knew that there was going to have to be some aspect of working together, which based on previous situations where players and owners had to work together, things were looking kind of bleak. And back in March, they came to the agreement, like, we're going to have to prorate your salary. It's just how it's going to have to go. And and everybody knew at that time that there was going to be some level of the season lopped off. I think that by the time that agreement had been reached, then it was either past opening day or right around it. So it was very clear it was going to be plenty of time. And... We hoped, we hoped, we hoped, we hoped all this whole time. Like, there's going to be a proposal once we get a little more information on this thing and all of the different parameters that can be set. You know, we talked about the Arizona plan and the Arizona-Texas plan, you know, all, all these different plans. And now we finally have something. But it this speaks to... Tony Clark has done a really bad job with the MLBPA, but I commend him. Once again, I'm commending somebody for sticking to their guns because... As soon as the, the owners came out with, with that proposal, we all knew that the players were going to say, this is absurd. Because in addition to the prorated salaries, they're also saying, we're going to do, you know, since there's no gate revenue, we need to cut it even farther. And then what does come in, we're going to split that 50-50. So one thing is for sure about all people, and they have a pretty common ethos, and that is do not 
screw with my money. That doesn't matter if it's you or me or Mike Trout making $37 million. People are really particular about other people screwing with their money. And I think based on how this is kind of presenting itself so far, this isn't over by a long shot. Like there's still a possibility that this could be what derails the season, which seems ridiculous, but it could be. Well, let's just talk about that for a minute because there's a lot of people going at it on both sides over this. And really, there's only one side to actually, if you're going to take a side in this, there's really only one correct side to take. So for those of you that just want to go by, you know, MLB, obviously MLB leaked the proposal to the press for a very specific reason. When you're trying to negotiate people down at a time like this where everybody is just praying for some sense of normalcy, the first thing you do if you want to get what you want done is you make the other person you put the other person in an unwinnable position, which is where the players are right now. Because if the players continue to fight, you're going to get the stupid narrative that they're greedy because they don't want the billionaire owners to get more money. Uh, or it's going to come out to they have to sacrifice a ton and put in something that's going to ruin baseball down the line during the next CBA or something like that and cause a strike in two years, which is what's going to happen if the owners get what they want. So when you're looking at the proposal, it's very, very important to note that the players agreed two months ago to prorated salaries saying, all right, we're not going to play a full season. We can prorate the salaries to the amount of games that we play. Now, if you're saying, if you're one of those that's saying, Oh, well, two months ago, you're looking at 120 games. Prorated does not mean that we prorate at 120 games. It means you're prorated to how many games you play this season. The same way the Braves signed Dallas Keuchel for $20 million, but to a prorated contract. So he made $13 million because he played in half the season. The same thing with these contracts. So it's not like saying, oh, well, they agreed to the deal two months ago, so they shouldn't get paid for games that would have happened two months ago. They're not. They'd basically be getting paid for the 81-82 games. It's very important to note that proposal was put forward by the owners, not by the players. The owners went to the players with that, and the players agreed because they want to play baseball. They are baseball players. It's kind of what they do. So you get into that, and then here we are two months later, and all of a sudden, now that there's a proposal on the table, they make a formal proposal. Now all of a sudden we get to the bargaining table, and the owner's like, oh, hey, you know how we agreed to do prorated salaries? Uh, actually, we think that's a little too expensive. We want you to take less of a pay. We want you to take even more of a pay cut now. Oh, and add in a 50-50 revenue split just, just for funsies. And w when you start looking at player salaries, baseball players make a lot of money, and it's also because they, they work really hard, right? I mean, it, to us, it looks like they're just playing a game, but the amount of conditioning and the, the stuff that we don't see, everything that they're doing... I don't want to say that they deserve this money, but for the when you're looking at value, what you generate versus what you cost, right? These guys are generating a lot of money, and over the course of 162 games, some of these guys can generate a lot of value. Now, you can't just look at it and say, you know, Mike Trout isn't going to be affected the same way as somebody like uh, Kyle Wright or Tukey Dusan or Bryce Wilson, or, or I'll just use a Braves example of somebody who's using the league minimum. You can't look at it in terms of overall dollars. You have to look at it in terms of percentages. So you've let, let's say that let's just use one million dollars as as a salary, okay? Which is not the league minimum, but for easy math, we're going to do it. When you prorate the salaries, you say, okay, so instead of making a million dollars for 162 games, you're going to make 500,000 for 81 games. Okay, fine. 
And in that situation, you can see a player say, like, look, we'll do whatever we have to do to, to make this work. But they also did this without knowing that the owners were going to change it and come back and, like, bait and switch, essentially. So then they say, okay, well, uh, we need to cut this a little bit farther, so you're cutting it down to from 500 grand down to 333 grand. So instead of making half of what you're making, you're not going to be making um, one-third of what you're going to make. And then you've got the revenue split on top of that, taking that down to uh, from 100 and, excuse me from 333 to $166,500. Now you are lopping off 83.5% of what these guys are supposed to make. Now that is still uh, Trout's making 37 million and 83.5% of that uh, or let's say that the 16% that he gets to keep he still makes 6 million dollars. That's a lot. But when you're looking at a guy like Tuki you know, you have to look at the percentages for this. And me personally, I'm not going to tell you what I make, but I know I wouldn't work for 80 for 16% of it. Certainly not what I'm going to be the one who's actually out there doing the work. If Nick Markakis, or let's just use somebody that we know is going to be a starter. If Ozzy Albies says, I'm not playing for that, then I mean, how mad are you really going to get at him for doing something like that? I mean, I just, I don't... I don't, one, I don't understand how people are siding with the owners in this situation and saying that players are greedy. Like, these people are the ones who are going to put themselves in harm's way. And I know I keep coming back to Trout as an example, but he came out and he's like, I don't want to play. And it's not about the money. It's about putting... He just had a... He's got a son on the way. Yeah, and like, there's there's ripples to it. He's not going to see his son. And if he does, then it's going to be under just, co- like, wearing one of those giant biohazard suits. Like, you got to be so incredibly careful. There's so many different aspects that pour into this. And it's not like Terry McGurk is going to go suit up and play second base if Ozzy Albies doesn't want to play. You can't get mad at the players for saying, look, I'm not going to work for 16% of my salary and risk getting sick and not seeing my family and living in a bubble for several months. Sorry. For I- half a for half a season with a ton of asterisks yeah. that's not going to count towards anything in the long run. Right. So, I mean, people want to side with the owners. That's, Anybody- that's fine, but I just don't see it. Here's, like, prorated salaries is fine. They should be taking prorated salaries. But the thing is, They've already agreed to that. That is the whole crux of the matter here. First off, when when you signed the original contract, everybody wants to harp on the players for wanting to renegotiate a contract halfway through. Well, shocker of all shockers, here we have the owners that just signed these players to these contracts, and what do they do the first chance they have some issues is they want to go back on the contract. You sign the contract, that's the risk you take with the contract. When baseball performs better than expected, they don't pay the players more. Ozzy Albies didn't make more money last year for how good of a season he put up. Cattell Marte didn't get, you know, he didn't get compensated for putting up a seven-war season. He got paid the same <coughs> as he did when they originally signed him. That's the point to this. Is if you're not going to, if you're not going to go the other side of it, then I'm not going to side with you when you all of a sudden, oh, things aren't good for me. Let's cut your money in half or or more in half, and then let's throw in a salary cap and let's talk about that for a second. Because there are a lot of people, a lot more people than I thought, that don't realize that salary caps are horrendous. And adding a salary cap to baseball would be even more horrendous. Because you're already talking about a sport that it takes six years to make any real money. So if you put a salary cap on top of it, all of a sudden, you know how it, how it gets very annoying sometimes in baseball when bad teams don't want to pay players to get better? Guess what happens with a salary cap? That... For everybody, if you've got a hard cap, 
That is exactly what happens. Have fun enjoying Ronald Acuna for the next however long until he starts making too much money and starts counting against the cap and the Braves are in salary cap hell because they've got a bunch of young guys on the team at the same time and they're replacing a guy six years down the line because, well, he's really, really good. We can't afford him, so we have to go to a cheaper player. Is that what you want to see? You want to see the Yankees have to break up because, the, well, okay, if you're a Yankees fan, you want to see the bra- the Yankees have to pick between Luis Severino and Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and all of their guys? No. There's a reason why other sports leagues want to go away from a salary cap. It's because a salary cap, all it does is suppress wages, and it encourages teams to cheap out and put an inferior product on the field. And you look at what's going on with the Cubs right now. Part of the reason why they were looking at, you know, do we trade Contreras? Do we trade Bryant? They didn't wind up trading any of them because that's not the way that the offseason played itself out. But at the same time, you have to make these decisions because all of those guys came up at the same time. And you had Kyle Schwarber and Javi Baez. And all these guys are going to be set to make some pretty major money here. And... You know, they do have the luxury tax. It's a soft cap, so you can go over it, but for every dollar that you go over it, you have to spend X amount of dollars, and, and it, it tends to get exponential. So you can you can shoot yourself in the foot, and they'll take draft picks away, but at the same time, like it's still, it keeps, having that keeps teams like the Dodgers, like the Yankees, from going and having like a $400 million payroll, you know? So there there are some type of corrective measures that they have in place. But at the same time, what makes me the most scared about this, whole thing. And I've been pretty open about the fact that I'm nervous that there might not be a season, which for me is weird because I'm not the doom and gloom guy. I try and see the optimistic side of everything. But if this is a sticking point, and this isn't over, this is not going to say that the players are just going to completely reject this and we'll just see you guys in 2021. But once again, collective bargaining agreement is up at the end of next season. And if they're having trouble even... This is weird. And it's it takes a lot of nuance to get something like this to work, but if they're having this much trouble and the owners are trying to undercut the players and trying to not swindle, but it's not the wrong, not the right word, but it's not necessarily the wrong word either. They're it, trying to take advantage of the of the current pandemic to pass some things that would never have a shot to pass normally because they're trying to put pressure on the players by putting it out in the public sphere. So the pressure the players have to deal with the, the fan backlash as well, and that way if things go badly, the owners can say, well, we tried, it was the players that didn't want to do it, and it increases the owner's bargaining position versus the MLBPA and the already horrible Tony Clark. And it's just a bad look. It's a bad look what the owners are doing, and people can get mad at the players for making a lot of money if they want, but this is a very specialized skill that these guys have, and while there's they no... they got a lot more skill than that owner. And when there's no concerts going on, and people, you know, there's so many things, that other diversions that people can have... If these guys are being thrust into the spotlight, like the national spotlight, not not just like our tiny little corner of all of these baseball obsessives, when you start looking at like, this is the only thing that's going on in America right now, you know, this is a real opportunity for the league to assert itself. And it's just a bad look. So I'm I'm nervous about this season, but I think that there might be able to, there's a way to, to patchwork this and to make it work. But the long-term ramifications of this, could be very bad. I'm sad about missing out on some or maybe all of Ronald Acuna's age 22 season, but age 23, 24, 25, these parts of these could all be in jeopardy. We're looking at one of the most talented baseball players that's come in the, in the league in the last decade, in the last 30 years. Like if you want to just put him in a tier in the last 30 years, he's one of the most dynamic electric players that we have seen. And we are going to lose some of his prime years because of money. 
and that's bad. Can I simplify that anymore? It's just bad. And it's just it it always kind of blows my mind how people want to you know harangue the players, oh, millionaires whining about his money. Meanwhile, you're taking up for a billionaire who's whining about his money. You're literally going you're trying to talk down to somebody because they make a ton of money by siding with somebody that take that makes a ton of money more. Like it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. The other part of this is you can't tell me that it's uh, that it's okay or that there's no issue with the owners reneging on a contract twice, honestly, on something they proposed and got accepted. Well, now yeah, now we don't think that. Now we think that you should take even less. That's you can't look at them doing that and then flat out tell me that they're not going to push for a salary cap. The things they put into play in this season are not things that they're going to try to put in the next CBA because the owners have wanted a salary cap forever because it saves them money. And you start looking at things that, that they know, like the, the universal DH, if, if there's a 2020 season, then, then that is certainly going to be in play. And I think that part of that might be like a covert peace offering in a way. Say like, all right, we're about to create some jobs here for 15 additional players, which is something, you know, players all want the DH. It's more jobs. It's, it's the ability to rotate and rest and not burn yourself out quite as quickly. And, you know, we can debate the merits of like baseball purity and whether or not the DH belongs in the NL. We can do that all day long, but like, I think <clears throat> that the owners know the players are going to lobby for that. So they're getting out in front of it and saying, Hey, we gave you this. You know, look how generous we were when we gave you this, as opposed to like, we were trying to completely screw you over over here, but don't look over there. Look over here. We gave you this, you know, it's, it's just a bad look. It's just a really bad look. I'm, I'm nervous, Dylan. Give me reason to not be nervous about this. Well, speaking of the, speaking of the universal DH, it is something that did pass. The players immediately agree to it, but there's a question of, and as you've seen on Twitter and all the baseball blogs the last few days, starved for content, everybody's putting out a piece of how the DH affects the National League or if it really affects it that much. Certain teams in the National League are certainly set up better than the others. How are the Braves set up? Stick around through the break and we'll come back and let you know how the Braves are looking with the new universal DH idea and what you can expect to see from that spot in, 20, in an abbreviated 2020, if we get that far. Hang on through the break. We'll be back in just a second right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Boys to Men's Warehouse. From large to small and big and tall, Boys to Men's Warehouse has got you covered. Literally. Our suits have a special wicking material so you won't have to wait till the water runs dry. And this breathable fabric will keep you cool through all four seasons of loneliness. You'll look so fresh, every Jezebel in town will be saying, I'll make love to you like you want me to. They'll be all over your inseam. Our custom pant legs are extra long, so they won't ride up when you're on bended knee. We also offer rentals in case you only need those special threads for one sweet day. Come visit our newest location in Motown, Philly. Boys to Men's Warehouse. Patent pending. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Platinum Sabero Podcast. I'm still Doc Herbert, and with me as always is Dylan Short. Before we go any farther, just wanted to let you know that this week's episode of the Platinum Sabero Podcast is brought to you by 141,000 other 
Braves podcast. It's also brought to you by Simply Safe. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way where you wait for a technician to come to a messy install, or you can just do it yourself. You have a lot of stuff in your house. You owe it to yourself to protect all of it. So why wouldn't you want to get Simply Safe, which blankets your entire home in safety? You get comprehensive protection. We're talking cameras. We're talking sensors. We're talking everything. You're not even going to notice it. It's there. You can install it yourself, which is super fun. You get that uh, that rewarding sense of having gotten something done. It can take you no more than 30 minutes to an hour. There's no trade-offs for your safety, and you have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your fortress at a moment's notice, 24-7. It'll only cost you 50 cents a day with no contracts. This is why The Verge calls Simply Safe the best, the best home security system. So, when you have concluded listening to this episode of Platinum Sombrero, go to simplysafe.com slash team. That's S-I-M-P-L-I safe.com slash team. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Simplysafe.com slash team. That's simplysafe with an I dot com slash team. Dylan, at the very end of our last segment, you so definitely teased that we would be talking a little bit about some of the ripple effect of some of the uh, finer aspects of this proposal, including but not limited to the DH the universal DH, we have debated whether or not it is time. We did that a couple years ago, and now we're looking at this actually being a reality. And it couldn't really come at a much better time for the Braves. They are really, really well set up to absorb something like this. Arguably one of the best teams in the NL for this, right? Uh, yeah. Now, if you if you read John Heyman, then you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't know that because the Braves were conspicuously left off his teams that are you know, going to profit from the DH. Somehow the Nationals get on that list and somehow the Reds get on that list, but not the Braves. But, you know, it's not like Heyman has any bad blood or somebody that, you know, owns Heyman or as, as I would like to refer to him as Heyman's Dom, who holds his, his leash, um, has a problem with the Braves for, you know, maybe not paying for a certain overrated player a couple years ago. But, you know, whatever. Um, for the Braves, this, this could not be any better for the Braves. Because the one thing, the one thing over all else that was worrisome for 2020, for a full season of 2020, for the Braves, was going to be how does Brian Snicker? I guess you could say the pitching, but if you say the pitching, you're wrong. Um, but would be how does Brian Snicker handle having this many guys who have starting capabilities on a roster? How can he actually manage to get guys enough playing time to make them effective and not have anybody dead by the second week in August? Well. Enter the National League DH, which which should have been around a long time. The last time it got voted on was like 1981. I mean, it's been a long time since this has even been put to a vote for some reason. Uh, the NL is one of two professional baseball leagues in the world that does not have the DH. The other one is, uh, I want to say, the T the CPBL Central. I think it is, or it could be the MPB Central. It might, be, it might be the Japanese League Central, but there's only two divisions in the entire world that do not have a DH. There's no reason for me to watch Mike Fulton have a hit. And for those that tell me about the strategy, double switches are not great strategy anymore. It essentially plays out the same way. Eighth place hitter gets walked. Runners are on first and second, two out. It's the sixth inning. Oh, does he go ahead and take the pitcher out now? Or does he leave him in there and let him get an out and rely on something later on? It's not really strategy. It's the same move every game. It's been about time for this. Luckily for the Braves, we seem to be sitting pretty. We've got a ton of depth on basically just sitting on the bench. We've got a ton of depth that was right on the AAA call-up list as well. You've got Austin Riley. You've got Camargo. You've got Duvall. You've got Marcakis if you want to use him against righties, which is the only time he should be used. 
You've got guys like Peter O'Brien, who looks really good in spring training. I do not trust him to do that in the regular season because he's tried to DH before and it didn't work out. But you've got a lot of options that you can use. You've got a lot of guys that fit the DH profile. For a lot of teams in the National League, their DHs aren't exactly going to fit their profiles. So they're going to end up getting a guy that's a great defender, a uh, great defender, put him into the field, and let their best hitter, like like let's say the Nationals. Is is there any doubt that they're going to have, like, is Ryan Zimmerman still playing or did he retire? Honestly, I, I can't was remember. just thinking about that the other day. I have no idea whether he wound up signing back with them. Let's just say if, wanted to. if Zimmerman is playing for them again, he, there's no doubt he's going to be the DH. Unless you want to use Matt Adams, I guess. I don't know. But essentially, if Zimmerman is gone, then you'll have a good defender play first base, and Matt Adams will DH. It's not that hard to figure out. So, as far as increasing the strategy, I don't think it affects strategy at all. If anything, it affects the pitcher strategy, because now you don't have an easy out in the lineup, unless you're the Braves, who gave up approximately 782 hits to pitchers last year. Um, to me, this is perfect. This should have been happening a long time ago. If this, is ha- if this had happened years ago, we could have kept Josh Donaldson. That's the only thing. It's not exactly fair for 2020 because, you know, teams aren't teams aren't really set up to go out and get a big DH now. But it's going to happen going forward. This was going to happen on the next CBA anyway. So this was just the owner saying, "Yeah, here, go ahead and have it." I mean, we've all known this was going to pass, and it's about time. The Braves are set up really, really well for it, and they're probably as far as the National League East goes, they're probably set up about as well as anybody else. The Mets have to be happy because that means Juan Cespedes can just hit and not have to worry about running around the outfield. But overall, I think the Braves are set up probably the best in the division because of this. Well, and you're going to you're going to have expanded rosters. What the the number hasn't been finalized yet because it's still just a proposal, but I've seen the number 30 uh, 30 active players instead of this is going to be the first year for 26. So it'll seem like there's five extra guys out there. And and you can also have uh, there's talk of the being like a, a taxi squad. Yeah, 20 I've guys heard, that are I've heard uh like 50 man 50 man rosters, 30 active with 20 on the taxi squad, but it could be 10 on the taxi squad. Right. So so you're going to have plenty of options, but but you're right. One of the the most fascinating storylines to watch was Camargo versus Riley over at third base. What do you do? There was a lot of talks. Uh, Brian Snitker took a whole lot of flack because he said, you know, whoever doesn't get the job is going to go back to to the minors probably, which okay, I mean, you could do a whole lot worse than having somebody that almost won your starting third base job being there as, as having like a separate role. And then there's all of the different outfielders. And you brought up Pete O'Brien, too. I'm not fully sold on his ability to do anything other than just hit home runs. I think that his hit tool is much more in question than a lot of people realize. That dude has bounced around a lot. He can't stick anywhere because he can't hit. He can hit home runs, and he can hit them very far. But it just, once again, it gives you flexibility. Freddie Freeman's coming off of elbow surgery. Maybe he'll need a little bit more time. Um, not like a full day off. The, the argument with him has always been we can't take his bat out of the lineup. And Freddie is one of the best pure hitters in all of baseball, but he's still going to be nursing an injury. You can still set it up to where he can play. You can keep his bat in the lineup and you keep him out of the field. Um, we talked a lot about rest for players last year. We don't we don't necessarily need to rehash that, but it it does it does give you the the ability to keep guys from getting quite as burnout. We talked about this before the show. You had mentioned like. If you're dealing with 81 games, especially if you're not playing the first 81, then the second 81, you're not quite at the same risk of running guys ragged as you would be in a full season. But still going into the playoffs, if the season's going to go a little bit longer, you want your guys to be fresh where you can. 
and roster-wise, this is a deep team. You may not like some of the guys who are serving as depth, but this is a deep team. You could do a lot worse than Nick Markakis as a as a DH candidate, you know? And even if he is a DH candidate, then it allows you to replace him with Adam Duvall in the field, you know? And and that that is kind of a win for me. So I, I like I like the depth, and I'm curious to know what they're gonna do with these other roster spots too. You know, like the pitching you're going to need a little bit of extra time for these guys to, you're only going to get three weeks of a second spring training, which is going to be your entire spring training. Cause most, unless you've been pitching in between and doing side sessions and bullpens, then you're not going to be ready by the time July rolls around. So you need some extra arms in there. It could be really beneficial for some of the fringe roster candidates. We wondered what was going to happen to Tukey and Phil Pfeiffer and some of these guys that could just serve as depth. Once again, Kyle if Wright. you got the chit. What's that? So Kyle Wright, this is this Kyle is a Wright, good opportunity yeah. for the Braves since they are going to be relying on so many young pitchers. And in, in a shortened season, you can't go through prolonged slumps. Like You don't have that whole month of April to get ready. So if you look at a 162-game season, basically the month of April is teams getting right. You don't really – we always talk about early on, uh, he's had some bad performances, ah, but it's early, he's just getting in the swing of things. You don't have time to do that in a shortened season like this where – Basically, you're, the first two weeks of this season will determine where you end up placing the division. If you go all the way back through the lists and you look at teams in 82-game samples, teams like uh, the Braves in 82, maybe, I think, uh, tied were the second, maybe the second-best record through uh, 82 games, basically the first half of the season, like right behind the Yankees. Like the 98 Yankees were something like 38 games over 500 after 52 games. Very few teams other than the 87 Brewers who in their first 82 games put forward like a plus 30 game stretch and finished the season right at 500 or something like that. But um, it's very important how you start. And for the Braves, since they are going to have that fifth and even the fourth spot in that pitching rotation are going to be kind of iffy. And there's a lot of players who, you know, were competing for that same spot. This kind of the Braves have an opportunity here to kind of spread spread the love around a little bit. If somebody's not doing very well on a particular day, the Braves can carry these amount of starting pitchers. And let's say they can piggyback Sean Newcomb with Felix Hernandez, or they can piggyback Patrick Weigel or Phil Pfeiffer with Kyle Wright and kind of take the onus off of these guys. So they don't have to go seven innings. No, no doubt about it. No doubt. And I I think that you're going to see some, some really flight, everything that we talked about with flexible roles for relievers if Melanson's still the closer, but we all know Will Smith could be it. We've seen all these different guys that, that you might see Will Smith in like a sixth inning. You might see uh, Melanson actually being used in the in the in the closer role. I mean, there's there's so much that that still has to be determined because we got left hanging. We were two weeks out out from the regular season, and now we're gonna start everything back over. You know, Austin Riley looked great during spring training. Will he look great during the second spring training? Same thing for Tukey and, and any of these guys that could figure into the plans. If this, if everything goes according to plan, let's say that the the players and owners can come to an agreement, then it'd be less than a month till spring training starts, and that's when all the intrigue really starts back up. And we wondered what would happen with Felix Hernandez. Is he going to take the Cole Hamill's role now that Cole Hamill's shoulder has allegedly had time to recover? So part of what I have really missed about about doing the show is just getting into these little, the, getting into the minutia of, of all of these different things. And that's been so hard to do since everything just got put in a screeching halt. So I'm curious, 
how things are going to play out because because you never know Riley could come back in and he could one up himself for what he was doing before or Camargo could completely tank Pete O'Brien might show everybody why he had a 20 hit tool you know so fingers crossed <laughs> fingers crossed that they get this passed so we can actually open those types of conversations back up absolutely we need to get we need to move on from that because I'm very excited for the DH that's going to be the best thing I, I, it should have happened years ago. There's no reason why we should have been watching Mike Fultonevich or Alex Wood try to swing a bat. Love you, Alex. Don't get mad at me. Um, there's like pitchers haven't practiced hitting, like actually hitting, in like five years. By the time they get to the major leagues, I mean, it's, there's just no point to it. You're talking about as soon as baseball gets competitive to where money starts in, in, entering the equation, there's a DH. There's for a reason because. It takes a lot to get really good at pitching. You have to really focus to be a really good pitcher. So they take all of their time and devotion to pitching, which means I don't need to see a guy who's hitting at the same level as a high school sophomore trying to hit against Clayton Kershaw or Max Scherzer. Like that person, that, that is not the best person for that job. And, and you can tell me, well, fielders should have to hit. Okay, would you rather have Evan Gaddis in left field? No, you wouldn't. Now, granted, these days you don't want Evan Gaddis at the plate, but at the time when the Braves had Gaddis and he was rocketing to the moon, the Braves were just trying to find anywhere to hide him in the outfield because they didn't have a DH. So it, it, to anybody that says it doesn't give the American League an advantage, it most certainly gives the AL an, a competitive advantage, especially when you get to things like the World Series where half the games are with a DH, half are without. So those games with a DH, the National League generally National League teams generally don't have a player that's a contracted DH. You're, they're essentially taking a guy and trying to plug him into a spot that, based on roster buildup, usually doesn't fit. Because in the National League, you have to be a lot more versatile. the American League, you can be a lot more specialized, which is why I'm not going to take a look at the numbers here because we're running out of time. But I would imagine the American League has won the All-Star game a ton more times in a row and probably won the World Series a lot more often than the National League since 1981, I would say. And for as many different tweaks as Rob Manfred and co are trying to make here, by and large, the DH doesn't really bother me that much when you start contrasting it with like having a runner on second base to start extra innings or something like that, or any of the number of different things that can happen. And the way that the game has gone, we have moved to a three true outcomes game. You can either try and change everything about the game or you can adapt to the times. The way that people are now with their attention spans, like nobody's going to fall in love with baseball watching a two to one game. We did. I did. You did. But you know what? It's a different time. You know, we as enthusiasts, like it's hard for me as a mega enthusiast to watch a two one game because I'm like, I mean, yeah, these are all real pretty curveballs. And man, that guy missed that slider by a foot. But could somebody hit a damn home run or do something? Get on base, you know? So when you're looking at this next generation, look, I'm, I'm not saying you, you were going to have a much easier time adapting to the game than trying to change the people who you were trying to watch, who you want to watch the game. So let a DH come in and hit 460 foot home runs. It's entertaining for everybody, you know? If I'm having trouble, watching a 2-1 game, then my bu my buddy or my neighbor across the street who doesn't like baseball, he's going to just be like, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. So you kind of have to pander to these people. It's unfortunate, but it's... Let's, let's be real honest real quick. Anybody that says they prefer a one nothing game, I prefer a pitcher's duel. They're lying. They don't. Anybody that says, I love the sacrifice bunt. I love the small ball. No, they don't. They're lying. It's a nostalgia thing that they're talking about. 
everybody likes home runs because you love the crack of the bat. You love how the stadium collectively roars or holds its breath until it's gone. You love the reactions from the people in the booth. Like It's just different. People love offense for a reason. Offense is fun. Defense is important. I'm not going to say it's not important. It's, it's extremely, extremely important. But nobody... I don't want to say nobody because there's somebody that likes everything. I mean, there's there's people that eat kimchi, so there's people that like anything. So very, very, very few people, I would say under 15%, actually enjoy watching pitchers' duels. Now, if it's a pitcher who's doing what, like striking out 20 people, like a Kerry Wood performance, people are into that, that because he's striking out, because he's an offensive pitcher, essentially. That's the pitcher equivalent to home runs. If it's, you know, if it's two pitchers who are giving up a ton of contact and the defense is just making routine plays behind them, like, let's say Mike Soroka. Mike Soroka has some fun outings to watch, but let's say Mike Soroka is going against Marcus Stroman. And it's a one nothing game going into the eighth because both of these pitchers are just burying balls on the ground and people are just grounding the ball weakly to short at second base. That's a boring game. I'm sorry to tell you that. I know some of you are going to get all up in arms because I said that. That is a boring game. And this is coming from, from two dudes who, who watched Greg Maddox. I mean, they named the complete game shutout after one of our guys. And that's cool. The shutout under 100 pitches. That's a Maddox. Yeah. yeah like, but that was also 20, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Like, but it was also th- different because Greg would have you hit the ball exactly where he wanted. It wasn't just you were making ground ball contact. Because... If Greg Maddox didn't have the movement that he did on it and he wasn't going around telling his defenders, hey, move over two steps to the left, then it wouldn't have been as exciting. And by the way, we here in Braves country love Maddox, and we should because, in my opinion, he's the greatest pure pitcher of all time. But if you talk to anybody else around the league who was the, who were the most fun pitchers to watch, it's going to be Randy Johnson, it's going to be Roger Clemens, and it's going to be Pedro Martinez. Point blank period. Straight up embarrassed, guys. There's a reason why people think John Smoltz was the better playoff pitcher or the better clutch pitcher than Maddox. Even though it's not true, but that's what people assume because those guys were able to put people away. And I'm just saying, with a DH, you get to add offense into the equation. You don't have to watch pitchers take those horrible swings that you know your 12-year-old can take a better swing out in the front yard. I mean, it's just... It's it's more than time. Let's just... Let's just be real for a second. Anything, by the way, anything that helps the Braves get a World Series, I'm all for. And the Braves are a much better team if Austin Riley or Adam Duvall or Nick Marcakis are hitting as opposed to if Mike Fultonevich or Mike Soroka are hitting. Yeah, say what you will about Nick Marcakis. He is a better hitter than Mike Fultonevich. <laughs> Absolutely. And on that note, as we have praised Nick Marcakis twice, we do have to get out of here now. Uh, I've got some very important engagements for today. So hope you guys enjoyed the show. Sorry if this was angry, Dylan, today, but, you know, you get what you pay for. Um, we'll be back again in a couple weeks. We'll do this all again. Hope, hopefully we'll have a little bit more to join you. As usual, if we get anything crazy, we will probably do an emergency episode to let y'all know. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. We will see you next time right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Uh-huh.